And thank you to whoever brought the podium on top of the platform there today. As you can see, we have some decorating and designs behind me, around me, and to the side of me. And I want to thank Sister Nanique for uh, putting all these things together. And I found out that the, the company or the individual that did all of this for us, do you know, as hard as everything has been for everyone in these past couple of years, as hard as things have been for business owners and employees alike, the people who did all this decorating for us refused to take any payment for their services. And so we are just thankful that God has blessed us, not only with this really cool design behind me, but he's blessed us by giving it freely to us through the hands of those who prepared all these things. So we are absolutely thankful for that. And Sister Nanique, thank you for taking care of this. As usual with our church, we kind of plan things last notice. We, we wait until really close to the time. And so we throw a lot of things onto Sister Nanique all at once. And she always comes through and does the job well. Amen. So thank you for that. As you know, since last week, as we moved into the month of December, we started this new series, From Eternity to Eternity. And last week, we spoke on that topic before the foundation of the world. And this week, we are talking more about eternity. What does the Bible say about eternity? Not only eternity past, but eternity future as well. And today, we're going to read a story from Luke chapter 23, and today's story takes place at the crucifixion scene of Jesus Christ. And now some might wonder, well, why during Christmas time are we talking about the crucifixion? And I'll tell you, the reason why there is a Christmas is so that there could be a cross of Christ. The reason why Jesus came at all into this world was to die for us. You cannot separate the cradle of Christ from the cross of Christ. They go together. The reason why he came was to die on the cross. So of course, we are talking about the cross this month and what it means for us for eternity. So look up in your Bibles, whatever kind of Bible you have with you today, look up Luke chapter 23. And I'm going to read beginning at verse 32 all the way to about verse 43. All right, and as you find that, would you please stand with me? We always stand to give honor to God's Word. It also helps us to pay close attention to what we are reading because this is important for all of us to hear today. So let's look at this. Luke chapter 23, beginning, beginning at verse 32. There were also two criminals, two others who were criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. 
The soldiers also mocked, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Today's sermon is titled, What Will You Do With Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? I thought of this title because Jesus was just brought to Pontius Pilate in the story. Pilate questioned him, asked him several things, and came to the conclusion that Jesus did nothing wrong. He did nothing deserving of death. And I mean, death by crucifixion was not made for just anyone who was a, a criminal or anyone who just broke any law. Crucifixion was meant for the worst of criminals. In fact, Rome often crucified men who were insurrectionists, who were rebellious, who caused mob riots like in Jerusalem. There were men who wanted to drive out the Romans from Jerusalem, from Israel. And so sometimes they would raise up, they would protest, they would riot through the streets, and they would sneak up behind Roman soldiers and attempt to stab them to death. They were called terrorists in the days of Rome. And Rome had one solution for them, crucifixion. They came up with the most, the most torturous, horrific way to die in order to put the fear of Rome into all the people. So Pilate, knowing that Jesus has, none, has done nothing wrong, nothing to be crucified about, he thought of an idea. You see, every Passover, it was tradition that Pilate would offer the people of Israel, I will release someone today, a prisoner, I will release him or her today, just as a sign of goodwill toward you. So he thought, I'm going to bring Barabbas. The Bible says Barabbas was one of these insurrectionists. He was a rebel, he was a murderer, and he just caused a riot in Jerusalem. So he's sentenced to death. And the Bible says that he was in prison, chained with his fellow rebels, whom I believe may be these two criminals that were crucified with Christ. You see, I think perhaps on this day, it was supposed to be Barabbas and his two buddies, guilty of robbery, guilty of rioting, guilty of murder, who were supposed to die on that day. So Pilate brings Barabbas out and says, what do you want me to do? Who would you like me to release? Thinking, of course they're going to say Jesus, because Barabbas is a murderer. But the people said, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And in all this conversation, Pilate asked all the people one question. 
One question. He said to them, what shall I do with Jesus? And there's the question that we all must answer today. What shall I do with Jesus? And they said, crucify him. He's worthy of death. And Pilate followed along and sent him to be crucified. That was his choice to make about Jesus. Crucify him. The Bible says, as we read in verse 32, that there were also two others, and the Bible just simply calls them criminals. They were led with Jesus, and when they reached that place, Calvary, these two criminals were crucified with Jesus, one to his right, one to his left, and of course, Jesus in the middle. Now, the Bible just simply calls them here criminals. Other times it calls them robbers, but it also called Barabbas a robber. A criminal and in their day he may have been considered a terrorist and it, so it may be that these are two terrorists that are dying with Christ and they crucified Jesus as though he himself is a terrorist the two criminals were crucified with him and today I want to suggest maybe we can picture this when it comes to that question what will you do with Jesus? These two men that were crucified, they represent to us the two responses we can give to that question. Whether we are to reject Christ or whether we are to receive him as King and Lord, they represent the response that we are to give or that many give to that question. What will you do with Jesus? And you know, at the cross of Christ, the whole world was there. And so the whole world has to answer the question, what will you do with Jesus? The Bible says that when Jesus was crucified, that an inscription was hanging over him, and the words, this is the king of the Jews, was written in Greek and in Latin and in Hebrew. Now, why would they do that? Because the Greeks were there. People from all over the world, the Greeks were there. The Greeks with their philosophies, with their arts, their music, their idolatries, and their mythologies. The Greeks were all represented there. It was also written in Latin, the language of Rome. Rome being the dominant superpower of the world, the empire that rules over all the earth. They were there. And it was written in Hebrew, the religious people of Israel the religious were there the powerful were there and the commoners of all around the world whatever philosophy whatever religions whether idolatries they were a part of the world was there and so I believe in the same way we must approach the cross today and we must consider the question what will you do with Jesus what will you do these two criminals not only represent the two answers to this question but they'll also show us that there are eternal consequences depending on your answer do you know that after we die eternity is for everyone everyone it may be eternal life in heaven or eternal torment in hell either way 
eternity comes after death. And the answer to the question, what will you do with Jesus, will determine eternal life or eternal hell. And so today, we're going to look at this story in two parts. Number one, we're going to see the choice of many. And number two, we'll see the choice of few. You ready? Let's begin with the choice of many. In our story again, let's just take a look at verse 39. It says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. He blasphemed Jesus. This attitude, this blasphemy, this disrespect toward Jesus it represented the majority of people who were there at the cross. Now, I don't know if there were hundreds. There could have been thousands. There were people coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. There were people from Jerusalem and all over Israel who were all gathered there for Passover. And there may have been thousands of people that either stayed there or at least walked by the cross of Christ on their way in or out of Jerusalem. And so... This attitude, this blasphemy, it represents what most of those people thought about Jesus. It represents still the choice of so many people today. Even today, people treat Jesus in the same manner this man did. At the cross, we see and hear the multitude of people Luke says the people looked on. When they're at the cross, they looked on as though they were just staring at Jesus. Without any care, without any concern at all, they were indifferent, unmoved by the suffering Jesus. It's like they looked at the cross, they looked at Jesus suffering on the cross, and they said, so what? Who cares? The people looked on. And then the rulers among them, they sneered at Jesus. And they mocked Him. They said things like, if you are the Christ, then save yourself. Come on. You helped others. You claim to be God's Son. You claim to be the Christ. And look at you. You're beaten. You're bleeding. You're dying. You can't even save yourself. The Bible says they sneered at him, which means they said all of this with a smile on their face. And the Roman soldiers joined in as well. And they said to effect, this is the king of the Jews? Well, now you know what we do with kings. So much for your kingdom. You are no king at all, and you will never rule over us. We hear all these words, we see their actions, and we are reminded that all of this was exactly what David prophesied about in Psalm 22. David showed us exactly what the people would be saying. You see, Psalm 22 is about Jesus dying on the cross. And if you ever want to know how Jesus felt on the cross, 
than just read Psalm 22. Because in it, we find the words of Jesus. And he says things like, they ridicule me. They laugh at me. They shake their heads and they mock me by saying, he trusted in God. Let God rescue him. And he says, my bones are out of joint. My heart is melting within me. My mouth is dry and I'm so thirsty. And yet the people, they just stare at me. And it all came to a climax. When this one man crucified next to Jesus, it comes to a climax when this man, who's probably so close to the ear of Jesus, and he says to him, what kind of a Christ are you? You can't even help yourself. You have no power. Otherwise, if you were the Christ, you would save yourself right now. And you would get me out of this mess with you. But look at you, oh son of God. Look at you. You're no savior at all. This man, he became the mouthpiece of many of those who were there at the cross. He rejected Jesus. That is absolutely clear. But yet when I read the story, I wonder why. Why did he need to say anything at all to Jesus? I mean, aren't they saying enough? Why did he feel the need to open his mouth and say something? And maybe even more than that, why now? Why now say something in that way to Jesus? Well, there may be a clue. Because if you continue reading just a little bit further than our story that we read today, Luke tells us that it was about noontime. It was about 12 o'clock noon. And just as that hour was approaching, these men had already been crucified at 9 o'clock in the morning. So they've already been on the cross for three hours. And after three hours, now this man begins to speak to Jesus. Why? Well, Luke tells us in the verses to come that it was at around 12 o'clock that darkness filled the earth. There was like a blanket of darkness that came upon the whole earth. Luke says, and then the sun was put out. And I want you to hear that for a moment. The Bible says that there was darkness over the face of the earth. And then the sun was put out. That is a supernatural kind of darkness. That was a darkness beyond the natural course of this earth. And the fact that it was already dark even before the sun was put out, this must have been a terrifying hour. And this darkness was on the earth from around 12 o'clock until 3 o'clock in the afternoon when Jesus finally gave his life and died. So the darkness covered the earth for three hours. And it must have been very unsettling to the man on the side of Jesus. And I think it caused this man's heart to be gripped with terror. What kind of a darkness was this? What was God doing? Do you know in the Old Testament when Israel was in Egypt, God sent plagues upon Egypt. And one of those plagues was darkness. 
Darkness all over the land. You couldn't even light a candle. There was no light whatsoever. Darkness. And the Bible says that it was a darkness that the people could feel. Now, I don't know what that's like, but I know it must have been terrifying to Egypt. This man is terrified because this darkness is upon him. And yet, he's angry with God. And yet, he spews such wrath against Jesus. He hardens his heart and he blasphemes Jesus, even in the midst of the terrorizing darkness. And this man would soon find out that his decision would lead him to a darkness that is far worse than is now happening. And a darkness that would last far, far longer than three hours. You see, because the New Testament reveals to us that there are two ways in which we die. How you die, it's up to you. But there are two ways to die. One way is the way this man chose to die. And it's called to die in your sins. And what, I mean, what do I mean by that? Jesus said to the people before his crucifixion, there was a time he said to the people, you will lift me up, meaning you will crucify me. And when I am lifted up on that day, you will know I am that great name of God. And then Jesus said to the people, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And the Bible says that many who heard that, they believed in Jesus. But as we see here at the cross, most of them rejected him, including this criminal. And to die in your sins is to be cast into what the Bible calls the blackness of darkness forever. It's an eternity of the blackness of darkness. Jesus also describes it as being cast out into outer darkness where you are tormented with everlasting fire, where there is no rest day or night, and it's where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's describing hell. When a person dies in their sins, this is their eternity, the darkness and the torments of hell. It is forever. Jesus says there is a smoke that comes up from them, and that smoke never stops rising. There's never any break from torment. In a few short hours, this man died, and then he entered into that eternity. And today, this is still the choice of many because there are still many who refuse to bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. They refuse to believe. Eternity awaits them, and this is what it's going to look like. Number two, the choice of few. It says, but the other, the other criminal answering rebuked him. 
And this tells you probably how close these three are in their crucifixion. He rebukes the other one and he says to him, do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? You see, when this man spoke that way to Jesus, Jesus was silent. To all that ridicule and blasphemy and mockery, Jesus remained silent. So it's like this man felt he needed to take a stand for Jesus, and he rebuked this man. These two were probably well known to each other. They probably committed crimes together. They probably spent time in the same prison cell, chained together. And now one is rebuking the other because of his blasphemy. And look what he says to him. Do you not even fear God? What does that tell you about how this man saw Jesus? He heard what this man said to Jesus, the blasphemy, and he said, do you not even fear God? So I'll ask you, who is Jesus to this man? He is God. God in the flesh. God, who is in between us being crucified. And he says in so many words to this man, you are about to die. You are about to die. And you have nothing but disdain and wrath and anger against God. You know, Jesus spoke one time about fear. And he said to his people, don't be afraid. Do not fear those who will kill the body. You know, for the disciples, this is what would happen to them. And for many of the followers of Christ, even today, this is what happens to them. They are killed by others. But Jesus said to them, do not be afraid of the one who kills the body. Because once they kill your body, there's nothing else they can do to you. That's it. That's as far as they can go. Do not fear them. But fear the one who can cast not only your body, but your very soul into everlasting hell. And that is God. Fear God. This man did not fear God. But this other criminal, he knew exactly what those verses meant. And he feared God. And he says to the man, watch closely here. He says, now we indeed justly, we're getting what we deserve. We are receiving the due reward for our actions. In other words, we are sinners. We're sinners. We're wicked. We've done wrong things. We've sinned against people. We have sinned against God. That's who we are. We are sinners. But this man who's in between us has no sin at all in him. He's done nothing wrong. Do you know what this man is saying? He's, a, he's confessing his guilt. Confessing. He realizes he's a sinner. He needs forgiveness. And he also believes that Jesus is without sin. Confession. Have you confessed your sins to God? Have you ever felt the need to confess your guilt to God? Jesus says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit and He will convict the world of sin. And when you're convicted of sin, 
You are to run to God and confess it to Him. That's all a part of what's called repentance. And that's what this other man is demonstrating, repentance. Lord, I am a sinner. I've done wrong and I need forgiveness. Faith is stirring up in this other man's heart. Faith is being planted in the good soil of his heart and immediately it's bursting forth with fruit. And the fruit is the fruits of salvation through his confession and through his belief in Jesus. And then he says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Lord. By calling him Lord, he just received Jesus as king. He just put Jesus on the throne of his own heart and life. Lord, remember me. This man also knows that once he dies, there's something beyond death. There's something beyond the grave. He doesn't know exactly what's going to happen, but Lord, you please remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He knows he's Lord. He knows that he will be remembered by him, and he knows that he is the king of a kingdom. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man believed in Jesus. And hey, so much for works needed for salvation. What work could this man do? His very hands are nailed to a cross. What can he do to be saved? Nothing. All he can do is confess his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by faith, he is saved. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And even though Jesus is nailed also to a cross, nailed by his hands and his feet, yet this man believed, even though you are crucified on a cross, I believe you are still mighty to save. You are still mighty to save all who call upon your name. Amen. Jesus is a mighty Savior. Praise God. And then we come to the end, our last verse. It says, And Jesus said to him, And Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus said to him. Do you know how many things people were saying to Jesus? Do you know how many people spat upon him? Do you know how many people blasphemed him and challenged him, laughed at him and mocked him, sneered at him? Do you know of how many words Jesus heard from all those people who did not believe? And yet not once did Jesus speak to them. Not one word from the Savior to them. But to a man who's dying, to a man who cries out simply, Lord, remember me. Jesus turns to this man and he speaks to him. And he says to him, assuredly. Meaning, do not doubt what I'm about to say. It is as good as sure. You can trust in what I'm about to say. Oh, can you imagine the joy that was filling 
that melting heart of Jesus to hear the confession of the sinner. Assuredly, listen to me. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Don't listen to them. Don't focus on what they say. Don't focus on necessarily what they have said about me and said to me. Listen to me. Today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Today. So much for that idea that when you die, you go to a place called purgatory. So much for the idea that when you die, no matter really what kind of a life you live, there's sort of a waiting room. And you wait there until your relatives and your church can pray you out of it and get you into heaven. Do you think, do you think Jesus believed in a purgatory? Do you think Jesus believed that there's a waiting area that you got to wait in? No. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me. With me. What a wonderful thing for that man to hear. I mentioned before that the Bible in the New Testament says there are two ways to die. The first way, the Bible says, as Jesus says to the people, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. But the second way the New Testament says we die, it says that we die in the Lord. In the book of Revelation, it says, blessed are those who die in the Lord. How do you die in the Lord? The way this man did, by trusting in Jesus Christ, believing him as Savior, and you will die in the Lord. So the Bible says, as you continue reading the story, that about three hours later, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last, and he died. He died before these two men died. And for these two men, it would get even worse for them because the soldiers would come and break their knees to speed up their death. But in a few short hours, they also died. One man died, and the moment he opened his eyes again, he was in eternal flames, in eternal darkness, that blackness of darkness forever. It would be immediately. How do I know that? Because that's what Jesus says. It was immediate. He closed his eyes in death, and he opened them again in his eternal suffering of fire. And then the other man died. He closed his eyes in death, and when he opened them again, he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus face to face. Now the Bible talks a little bit about what happened to the spirit of Jesus when he died. We know his body was put in a tomb, but where was Jesus, spiritually speaking? Where did his spirit go? Well, Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, so I will be in the heart of the earth three days, three nights. And the Bible also talks about Jesus who went to set captives free and to usher them into heaven. 
The Bible also says that when Jesus died, graves were split open, and those who had died were risen from the dead and walked around the city again. Oh, there are mysteries about what happened with Jesus during those three days and three nights of his death. And we may not completely understand those mysteries of the goings and the comings of Christ while he was in that state. But I'll tell you who does know. This man who died next to Jesus. And maybe one day we're going to meet this man. And we're all going to together get together and we're going to say to him, tell us, what was it like? And he'll be able to tell you word for word everything that happened. Why? Because Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And isn't that eternal life right there? To be with Christ. Paul says, when I die, when I die, I know I will be with Christ. For those who die in the Lord, the Bible says, though you're absent from your body, you are present with the Lord. No purgatory, no waiting room. Your eternity begins the moment your eyes open after you die. So the question I ask all of you as we also approach the cross of Christ today, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do? You know, the amazing thing about this story, we talk about these two men. They both went through sort of the same exact kind of life, the same kind of sins. They knew each other. They were probably friends at some point in life. They, all, they both went through imprisonment. They went through the same beatings. They went through the same crucifixion. They were both in the presence of Christ the Savior. They both heard everything the people said. They both experienced everything the same in that last few moments of life. And yet one believed in Jesus and the other one rejected Jesus. The one spoke on behalf of many that were there and the one spoke of just a few who make that same decision to believe in Jesus. So today as we consider that question, as I look at you today and sometimes I look at you and I still don't quite recognize all of you and I think it's because of the masks. But however long you've been coming here to AOI, I do not presume that just because you come to our church, you are saved. I don't presume that. I can't even pretend to know if you have truly confessed your sins to the Lord and you have received Christ as Lord of your life. But I'll tell you this, going to church does not save you. Coming to the cross of Christ and believing, that's what saves. And have you done such a thing? Have you approached the cross and said like this man, you've admitted you're a sinner. And you have simply said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. As the musicians come up, let me just leave you with one last scripture. And I won't give any commentary on this. I just want to read it. I want you to see it as well. And you can see it along with me. These are the words of Jesus. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, 
and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. This narrow way is the cross of Jesus Christ. Today there's a choice of many, and there's a choice of few. What will you do with Jesus? Amen. Can we stand together? Are we going to sing that Christmas hymn? We're going to sing this Christmas hymn that I think we sang during worship service. But I want to just ask you, sing this in a new way. Sing this as you confess your sins to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sing this as you declare, Jesus, you are Lord and you are King. And the throne in my heart, there's only one who sits upon that throne, and that is you. Let's sing this song together. Praise the Lord. Jesus.